Hi there and welcome to the Next Game Wins podcast with me, Warren. And me, Paul. Um, what we'd like to discuss today is something a little bit different, really. Um, it's, the reason we want to discuss it is because it's quite topical. Um, I thought that we could discuss remasters and remakes. Um, obviously, you know, yesterday saw the um, quite anticipated release of the remastered GTA trilogy. Um, I was going to say highly anticipated, um, but I sort of feel its initial reveal to its actual launch was such a small window that, yes, the hype was absolutely there, but it isn't something that we've had, you know, 18 months to sort of count down the days. Nonetheless, it is GTA. Um, you know, it was always going to be a big seller. Um, there's still a huge fan base out there. GTA 3 itself, you know, is two decades old. For people as old as me and Paul, you know, we were there um, with our PS2s, Xboxes, GameCubes, whatever, um, at that era. And, you know, we picked up GTA 3. And it's, you know, it's one of those games which, yeah, I was playing it yesterday, the remastered trilogy, um, and it's very, very good. What are your thoughts, Paul? I know that you've had a dabble with um, San Andreas so far. Yeah, you know, obviously it was, as you said, something that was highly anticipated by, uh, you know, people like me and you, people who did originally play it uh, back in the day. And, um, you know, I was sort of interested in seeing how they would, uh, you know, what they would add to it, what they would change. Um, because, you know, especially, I think those are the last three games really to adopt a very particular control style. Um and, and mm. I said to you, I said, even if they don't change anything graphically, as long as they change the control style, I'll be a happy chap because it's just a difficult one to go back to that control style. It was fine when it when it had sort of originally came out, but obviously we've been spoiled since with, with the things like GTA 4 and GTA 5, how they sort of improved on that controller style, movement yeah, style, etc. Yeah, I was going to say, I think two... Um sort of two things that have happened since the release of, you know, if we'll refer to it as the GTA trilogy in that respect. But I think two things that have happened is um, absolutely Resident Evil 4 in terms of pioneering the over-the-shoulder third-person camera viewpoint. You know, there's so many games that have adopted that as the norm, in, in, in you know, ineffectively um, not having a person just running around quite wildly in front of you and, and struggling to tame your character, as was the case uh, in many instances, in, in many instances pre Resident Evil Four, but I also feel just generally uh, in a very ingrained first-person shooter world, you know, we do live in a, a, a highly, you know, a highly refined and responsive twin-stick control scheme world, and a lot of uh, modern third-person action games effectively do, in many instances, adopt a first-person shooter control style in that they have such a reliance on a dual stick approach you know gta3 yes you know you would use your right stick way back when to control the camera but you know your character was quite fluid it was quite quite tricky to tame mm. i mean i'm saying that with with 2021 eyes don't get me wrong when i was 16 playing gta3 it was the best thing in the world um, and i had absolutely no complaints with the controls back then but it, i think like you say you know two decades a lot changes yes yeah. graphically you know yes um you know gameplay wise but like you've said just the control system is, is something which has evolved over time and absolutely i have to sort of mirror what you've said in terms of us being spoilt it is mm. sometimes quite tricky to go back and experience the classics because we have been shown that there are for lack of a better term better ways of playing uh, mm. i know that might be a bit controversial but um, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you in that one. I think as well for me, I noticed straight out of the uh, the gate is the load times. Obviously, San Andreas particularly was <clears throat> famous for having quite long load times um, when it first came out. And, you know, they were 30 seconds up to a minute sometimes, depending on, um, depending on how sort of old your PlayStation was really, but you know, from firing it up on the Xbox Series X, I mean, it's instantaneous um, how quickly things load. And again, we've been spoiled by the sort of um, hardware improvements since, what, 2003 when San Andreas came out? Um, Ooh, or 2004, yet. maybe. Um, so, yeah, I mean, load times are just non-existent, which is I'm very happy about, really. I'm going to say, I think that's that's one of the um, real sort of defining 
keystones of this console generation in that you know across the board obviously um you know switch is a different beast yes it does have solid state uh sort of internal memory and things like that but in terms of you know lightning fast uh solid state memory um you know series s series x and indeed ps5 have all adopted modern tech when it comes to minimizing as much as possible low times yeah um and you know, and obviously, what comes with that isn't necessarily just minimizing the the annoyance of a load time, but it, it opens mm. doors to new ways of structuring games. Um, yeah. Again, you know, something that springs to mind is you know the the most recent Ratchet and Clank, in that you know you can flip from area to area in the the you know the blink of an eye. Um, and I think we're we're in a good place really to sort of see what what other interesting things developers can do with that. Um, I, I always, I always used to think as well. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But no, I fine. used to remember, you know, especially maybe three sixty days and um, the PS three. You know, developers were having to be very innovative of what they could do during those load times as well. So, mm. like FIFA introduced a goalkeeper uh, sort of loading sequence where you could sort of challenge the goalkeeper while the game was loading. Um, trying to think of any other examples of what companies did to just sort of keep you entertained during that couple of, you know, that minute or two uh, of sort of loading the, the game up. I'm going to say one uh, one notable one, many, many years before the three, uh, 360 area that springs to my mind is um, Ridge Racer and Ridge Racer Revolution. Mm. Um, that used to play a very short bout of Gallagher or Galaxian while it was right. loading, um, which to be fair, <clears throat> I don't know, with, with a slightly nostalgic head on, it's quite sad, really, that we don't see stuff like that anymore. Well, that's um, what I was going to say. That's completely gone now, isn't it? Well, not completely yeah. gone, but I think it will, you know, load times will be no longer than 10 seconds. Um, you know, if, if, if a brand new title comes out, you know, that might be 10 seconds or so, but gone are the days where you'd be waiting for maybe a minute or something to, to get your game started. Mm, no, absolutely. I think the gaming landscape, uh, landscape has completely changed in that respect. Um, I think, really, sort of going back to you know, the GTA trilogy, um, you know, it's been less than 24 hours that it's it's sort of launched. Um, I thought we could discuss the whole sort of topic of remasters and remakes um, in terms of, you know, we, we do seem to be suddenly surrounded by remasters and remakes. And, you know, we've discussed this, um, you know, when we're not recording the podcast, we've discussed this in our sort of, you know, daily lives countless times at how, nostalgia is absolutely reigning high at the moment and i think a lot of video game companies are recognizing not necessarily just the need for preservation but also mm. tapping into those rose-tinted memories of you know certain individuals childhoods um you know reinvigorating classic series for a new audience because there's absolute merit in doing so and we're in an interesting space really where it isn't necessarily just a case of taking an old game and emulating it with some additional bangles and baubles. You know, that we've, we've got um, a lot of high-profile from-the-ground-up remakes, such as, you know, Demon Souls by Bluepoint on the PS5. And Capcom did an absolutely phenomenal job of, uh, you know, rebuilding um, Resident Evil 2 from the ground up. I mean, that absolutely paved the way in terms of a, a, a truly accomplished and refined and, and and very very good uh, remake so much so that you know i'm aware that the current in development remake of dead space is looking to resident evil 2 as uh, inspiration but then also on top of remakes <clears throat> as i said you know we've got lots of remasters which you know by their definition they're not from the ground up remakes they are <clears throat> in some instances on a technical level a, you know original um, they have some original code or they might just be original titles that are polished or refined in mm -hmm. some fashion. Examples, again, you know, absolutely the GTA trilogy, you know, at its DNA, it is the original game. Yes, it may have been migrated across to Unreal. It's got a new lighting engine. It's got this, that and the other. Um, but at its core, it is the original game. It hasn't been rebuilt from, the, you know, from scratch. Uh, yeah. And another one really sort of this year, which was a real personal favorite of mine when it comes to remasters was the uh, mass effect trilogy again you know they 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 kept the original engine they updated textures they updated load times they you know fixed a few gameplay elements tweaked this that and the other uh, and it it truly is now the definitive way of playing but it wasn't a ground up remake so what i thought we could do is is absolutely you know talk about the topic of why we feel these are sort of reigning high at the moment and then look at a few notable 
um, examples of successful remakes and remasters, and indeed some that have, let's face it, inevitably sort of stumbled, shall we say, um, mm. and have, have gone, you know, <laughs> achieved quite a reputation for perhaps um, not being the way to do it. Yeah, because I think... As much as we want every single one to be uh, to be great, unfortunately, some do miss the mark. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think one thing that we, um, you know, one thing that I wanted to to sort of look at first of all, really, is, is you know a list of different remasters and remakes that you know are really really good examples. You know, I've I've mentioned a couple, um, but I think one really that sort of springs to mind, and I'll be honest, it's. It's a series, well, it's the first two games in a series that I've only played recently, but it's um, Age of Empires 1 and Age of Empires 2 Definitive Editions. Mm. I do know that there's obviously Age of Empires 3 Definitive Edition. I hold my hands up, I haven't played that yet. But um, I've only very recently gone back um, to the Age of Empires series, mainly because of the hype surrounding 4. Um, and I downloaded recently um, on my laptop Age of Empires 1 Definitive Edition and Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition. And absolutely... Um, and I don't know if this is something you agree with, but I, I sort of feel a remaster in particular, you know, a remake, I think there's some leeway in terms of encapsulating the, the feel of the original game. But when it comes to a remaster, I always feel a good remaster captures how you remember that game looking and playing way back when, when it originally released. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's important to respect that what people... This is the thing, isn't it? It's like there's a reason why people loved that game originally, and if you start playing with that idea, you start to try and add new stuff to it. You're sort of tarnishing why people loved it in the first place. And so, when it comes to remasters or remakings or whatever you want to call them, it must always have that sort of um, you know that original love at the core of it. Because as soon as you start to play with it. You know, you, you just you're ruining, you know, people's uh, memories and people's thoughts of that particular title. Mm, no, absolutely. And <clears throat> like we've said, nostalgia is, is is an interesting beast in that it can completely blur your perception of how things mm. were originally. Um, you know, how many times have you gone back to a game from your childhood and gone, wow, this is this is hard work. Oh, yeah. I remember this looking incredible. And it's it's. There's that fine line of trying to encapsulate how it looked, how it felt, that that rose-tinted perception of that nostalgic image, that nostalgic sound that you had when you were first playing in it. And mm. the truly great remasters um, absolutely do that. Um, in saying that, <clears throat> excuse me, another remaster which I sort of feel was very, very successful is one that I sort of feel nostalgia wasn't even given time to set in because the remaster itself actually came out um about a year after the original and it was um the last of us remastered on the ps4 yeah um you know the last of us was was one of the last um major first party releases for the ps3 and absolutely you know i was one of the people that went out bought it day one absolutely loved it um but then at the same time you know less than 12 months just over 12 months um i did go out and buy last of us remastered and i sort of feel the reason that works is that it wasn't a total overhaul. Um, you know, it wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, mm. Like I've said, there wasn't a great deal of time between the remaster and the original. All it did was that it effectively made things sort of fresher in terms of, um, you know, it, it had a major jump in resolution, had a major jump in frame rate. Um, and I think that's just what it sets it apart from its inspiration in that, you know, Naughty Dog, all they did was they tried to improve upon... Um, it's game while the while the iron was still hot, really. You know, they, they tried to sort of make sure that actually this is a this is probably the best way of playing it. Yeah, that and and you know, during that period there was a uh a new generation of console that was released. Because you know, Last of Us was originally released on the PS3, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then obviously Absolutely. the PlayStation 4 turned up, and so um yeah, I think that was probably part of it as well, um, to try and get it onto the PlayStation 4 as quickly as possible. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think um, when we're talking about the PS3, one um, one series of games or one series of releases, I should say, that um, you know, I, I am quite a sucker for, for remasters and remakes. 
uh, one series that I really enjoyed on the PS3 was the series of HD classics that came out that started mm. with the HD re-release of the God of War and God of War 2 collection. Um, again, went out and bought that. I believe, again, that that was actually handled by Bluepoint Games, which have, you know, obviously a long history for remastering um, sort of classic titles and have now recently this year uh, been acquired by PlayStation, finally, um, after all these years. But there was quite a number of um hd classics releases in this series that i'll be honest range from the fantastic such as you know the jack and daxter collection and the ratchet and clank collection and things like that to the um the infamous uh one of which being and again this wasn't necessarily explicitly tied to playstation it was also released on the xbox 360 but the silent hill hd collection um you know that's really gained a reputation of, of sort of being the gold standard of how not to do a remake. Um, you know, one of the reasons was that, you know, the, the general Silent Hill fan base um, had been calling out for a remastered version of two and three for a number of years. Two in particular is still such an incredible game. You know, you speak to a Silent Hill fan and nine times out of 10, they will they will look back on two as as being their favorite title or if not, you know, a highly inspirational and influential title. But um, yeah, it was very, very buggy. Um, you know, there were a lot of rumors about the source code being um, sort of, you know, long lost and the developers um, had to sort of make do with what they had. They had to, you, they had quite a rushed time frame. Um, you know, plagued with issues like the disorienting uh, sort of fog that absolutely defined the original games was all sort of gone and the atmosphere was completely changed um you know poorly rendered upscaled original graphics uh, and it was just it i remember buying it on the ps3 and i took it back <laughs> and i mean i've since bought it again because i thought surely it can't be as bad as i remember uh, and it is, but <laughs> but I remember buying it at the time, and I just remember being so so let down by it, mm. um, because Silent Hill Two, like I've said, it it deserved better. Yeah, um, you know th this this wasn't um, you know a, a, a cult classic. This was this was a game that was loved by a lot of people. Um, you know, it sold very very well on the PS2, and it was a defining moment in the series. Uh, you know, the Silent Hill series over the years has, has sort of kind of lost its impact just due to a number of, of sort of, you know, games of, of sort of varying quality, but absolutely it hit its peak with two and in, and in many instances, instances three, and it, it just deserved so much better. Do you think that, you know, the, the idea of remasters or, or whatever you want to sort of define them as, but do you think studios will start to look at how they operate as a, as, is a studio in terms of maybe building a team that looks at previous IPs and, you know, over a long period of time. I mean, people like, you know, you could look at companies like Ubisoft, even Rockstar, um, mm -hmm. you know, people who have a real sort of long um, heritage and a lot of titles that could do with a remastering. Do you think they'll probably create a team, um, you know, internally that, that does nothing but sort of remaster and reinvent titles? I think it. I, th I absolutely agree with you in that 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 is something that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, it, it is quite a topical um, sort of area of, of discussion at the moment. You know, video game preservation. There's so many games out there that are still quite difficult to access. Um, mm. Like we've said, nostalgia is absolutely reigning high at the moment, and and as a direct result of that, the topic of video game preservation is something which is you know regularly swirling um, sort of social media channels and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, and like I've said, you know, that there are sort of dedicated studios out there that have built quite a reputation on bringing older titles to a modern audience. Mm. Um, you know, we've just mentioned Bluepoint, um, Night Dive Studios, who, you know, brought Turok, they brought Blood, and um, they're currently working on Kingpin, they're working on a remake of System Shock, they've already brought System Shock 2. Mm -hmm. uh, and indeed, very recently, um, you know, they announced Power Slave, uh, well, exhumed in, in PAL regions, but... Yeah, they're, they're a company, again, which are, are just very, very excited for. You know, they're one of these companies that I follow on Twitter, and every time there is an announcement, you know it's going to be something good um, yeah. because they're just tapping into that vein of nostalgia. And and it just, I mean, 
I'm an absolute sucker for it. But um, in terms of sort of internalizing that process of video game preservation, I do think there's an awareness of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know, Ubisoft, for example, you know, they've got their Prince of Persia remake, which you know, I don't know. If, I mean, will we ever see it? You know, it, joking aside, it has been delayed numerous times, and it's it's you know recent news um, this last week is that it's been delayed again. And um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, Rockstar have commissioned the GTA trilogy and and you know outsourced it uh, outsourced it to Grove Street Games, who have uh, you know got a long uh, reputation of working on many of uh, Rockstar's IPs, you know, obviously, you know, GTA, but also Bully and bringing them to mobile devices. Mm. Um, But in terms of, you know, other classic games, you know, like Activision, for example, you know, yes, they they remade the Crash Bandicoot trilogy, which again, I remember the announcement of that. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. (laughs) Because again, Crash Bandicoot, the original trilogy and indeed Crash Team Racing, such a fondly remembered series of games that you know post the naughty dog years kind of varied in quality yes there were a couple of good ones but it it wasn't sort of consistently hitting the highlight that was achieved with that original trilogy in some respects similar to what happened with the spyro series and activision absolutely did the right thing in terms of updating crash and updating spyro and you know as a direct result of the success and the obviously the the commercial success of the Crash Remastered trilogy, we've actually seen Crash 4, um, which in itself is actually a very, very good game. Mm -hmm. Uh, And obviously more recently talking about Activision, you know, they've just released, um, you know, the updated remaster of Diablo 2 as well. So it's it's something that I sort of feel is there. Um, At the end of the day, you know, to to be absolutely frank, it will will always come down to money. Well, that's Uh, it. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, um, and it, I, I think video game companies absolutely, don't get me wrong, it's something that they're, they're inevitably doing anyway, but it's just making sure that they are so uh, in sync with their fan base, so in sync with their community. You know, if there is a need, um, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. If, if there is a project that the gaming masses absolutely yearn for, mm-hmm. surely it's a dead cert. So it's it's one of these tricky ones, really. I think as well, I think a lot of companies now, especially, you know, it'd be interesting to see, um, you know, what what the results of this um, GTA um, remastered pack is in terms of what Rockstar's next moves are, because, you know, there's already been rumours, I've seen it on Instagram and Reddit and places like that, that they're looking at remastering, well, rumours that they're potentially looking at remastering um gta 4 so Mm. you know they'll always look at it from a revenue perspective but you know i don't want to sound like i'm oversimplifying it i'd be interested to find out how easy it is to remaster these games you know with yeah well ai upscaling and all that kind of thing you know is is it for for a small investment is there a big enough return and if there's a big enough return if they make a significant profit on it they'll they'll just rinse and repeat it and they'll go through all their backlog and and just do it over and over and over. Yeah. I mean, I think this is why a lot of, you know, major studios rely on outsourcing, mm-hmm. um, you know, like Sh- the Shenmue HD collection and indeed, um, you know, the recent Alan, Ma- uh, Alan Wake remastered collection, you know, both developed by D3T um, you know, both worked as a, a studio uh, sort of as a, a co-development um, sort of basis, but have also yeah. built their name on remastering classic titles as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're not necessarily the only one that's out there. There's a lot of studios that have, you know, built quite a successful name for themselves for faithfully yeah. um, bringing classic games to a modern era. Um, but it's it's like you say, it, it's one of those sad sort of realities that there are a lot of, the, there's a lot of tools out there and the infrastructure is absolutely readily available. Like you've said, you know, there are things such as AI upscaling um, that can aid the process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they quite famously, you know, a video we, we've both watched um, not that long ago of the, um, the guy on YouTube, <clears throat> excuse me, upscaling and remastering to an extent uh, Simpsons Hit and Run. Yes, um, relative ease by the looks of it. Yeah, and I think the, the one thing from that that really astounded me 
uh, and it was it was an area of, of sort of video game tech that I, I sincerely wasn't aware of. You know, we've, we've the majority of us heard of, of I've heard of AI upscaling, and in and indeed he employs some of that for some of the uh, sort of the two D art assets and things like that. But um, it was when he used a particular piece of software to effectively migrate the original game engine into Unreal. Yeah, that that made my jaw drop. I was like, yeah. okay. That's that's a game changer. I didn't know that that was a thing. And again, you know, don't get me wrong. There will be uh, you know more technologically savvy people out there, programmers out there who'll go, yeah, this this has been available for a while. Um, but for me, you know, purely as a consumer, I was like, wow, okay. Why are we not seeing more of this? Yeah, because it makes um, that transition a lot simpler, doesn't it? You know, oh god, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, to be fair, you know, the the man hours uh, and the focus can be put on other things such as you know updating gameplay. You know, if if a if a classic game. Uh, can easily be made to look the part yeah. at least then you can dedicate resources to make it at least feel the part which yeah. again you know might need a little bit more uh, sort of legwork in that respect um but again i think the the only issue that potentially sort of ri- uh, sort of rises from that is a lot of classic games and again coming back to the gta trilogy um you know yes uh, day before yesterday rather rockstar finally shared um a list of music tracks that were well, that are missing from the trilogy oh, right, um, yeah. and i think and i think this is something that you see um again in a similar vein it was uh tail end of last week the uh, metal gear solid two and three have been temporarily or will be temporarily removed from digital storefronts because of expired licenses for the use of historical footage. Now, mm. um, I don't know if you've you've played through Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3, but there, there's sort of various cutscenes where it actually uses sort of like archival footage. Right, um, I see. Um, sort of like the Cold War and, and things like that. And again, any, any sort of use of third-party assets, third-party content, videos, archival um, sort of materials you know, it all comes down to licensing. Um, yeah. So any inclusion of something that requires a license, you, the sad reality is that sometimes it can really restrict bringing something back. Um, you know, the, the, there's so many instances of, of expired licenses stopping um, the re-release or, the you know, just, just a classic game popping up on Steam again. It all comes down to expired licenses. Yeah, and I think, you know, with, I appreciate that this might not be the best of um, examples, but with Rockstar, you know, when they um, put together Red Dead Redemption 2, you know, famously in Red Dead Redemption 1, there is a, I can't remember the artist's name for the life of me. There's a scene where you're sort of galloping through towards Mexico and there's a very mm. nice piece of music uh, being played. And I can't remember the artist's name, but it seems as though for Red Dead Redemption 2, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, they they completely, they said, okay, well, we'll just create our own soundtrack and we'll com- uh, completely create it from the ground up. And I think maybe that is purposely so that they can, they don't have to hit any of these snags going forward. And I think you'll find a lot of studios probably doing that a lot more, um, you know, just creating their own music, creating their own visuals, um, you know, trying to, negate any sort of up-and-coming issues uh with things like licensing because they want it to be a continuous moneymaker down the years and they don't want any sort of speed bumps to happen so it'd be interesting to see how they tackle them that kind of thing not an easy job in any way but no no absolutely not um no and i I, like i say i completely agree with you in that respect it's 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 a very very the, the reason Nine times out of ten, the reason we don't see a remaster or a remake, it's either down to money, it's down to licensing. You know, the, there are genuinely sort of barriers there. Um, another notable game that, you know, Night Dive Studios in particular um, have sort of mentioned a couple of times that they would love to get their hands on the license and bring the series back yeah. um, is a classic monolith uh, developed first-person shooter called um, No One Lives Forever. Now, there was No One Lives Forever, No One Lives Forever 2, uh, and then there was a spin-off, uh, Contract Jack. I believe mm-hmm. it was called Contract Jack. I never actually played that one, admittedly, um, but I did play the first two, and it absolutely encapsulated that sort of post-Austin Powers, groovy sort of 60 aesthetic mm-hmm. um, that would, you know, you would sort of later see to an extent in games such as... Um, uh, oh, what was uh, Compulsion Games... Um, 
my mind's oh, gone. Uh, we happy few. Yeah, my mind went blank then. You know, you do sort of see in games like that, or to an extent, you know, sort of death proof. But mm-hmm. it, 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 you, you sort of played um, sort of a 1960s, uh, sort of swinging 60s secret agent, Kate Archer. And it had such a, such a brilliant tongue in cheek humor to it. Um, you know, it was one of these first person shooters that, uh, you know, used the LithTech engine. It was just, it was a pure monolith and it was, they did such a good job. But the rights of that particular title are spread across, I believe, uh, and again, don't quote me on this, but I believe it's spread across three different companies. Um, and so it's like, okay, it's just a negotiable minefield that mm. would, would require, you know, so much effort just to actually seize the IP under one house yeah. that it's almost perceived as a bit of a lost cause. <clears throat> Another one that springs to mind is um, Hexen and Heretic, yeah. uh, which, you know, again, I, I mean, funnily enough, I actually completed both of those this year is the 52 game challenge because there were games that I'd always sort of dabbled with, but never fully invested in, um, you know, two um, mythical medieval themed first person shooters using the Doom engine and you know they were published originally by id software but they were developed by raven raven is now obviously part of uh, activision Activision, uh, and you know are obviously a call of duty support studio id software are now part of well obviously part of bethesda and now obviously part of um, xbox game studios and indeed microsoft and it's just lost in limbo um you know no one is willing uh, effectively to sort of you know try and negotiate the developing and the publishing rights to get them all under one roof or you know yeah. as the rumors suggest and so again it's it's yet again another classic title which sadly won't see the sort of the light of day very soon no. uh, unless unless we have an announcement next week and i'll sort of eat those words <laughs> but uh, we, we can all sort of live in hope with that one the big one for me that i'm sort of looking forward to uh massively is the uh, the new fable title which is getting developed by playground games Oh yeah, I mean, we spoke about this the other day. Purely from a tech perspective, the yeah. the visual fidelity and just the technical accomplishment of of Forza Horizon Five, it doesn't have old well for Fable. Mm. Oh my god! I mean, I, I if, can't if, wait. If, this it, is it. It's a title that I came into quite late. I actually played. Um, I ended up. I played Fable Two originally, um, and then sort of followed it up until unfortunately uh the, the studio closed but you know it's a title that i absolutely loved you know i sort of fell in love with straight away um so you know there's a lot of opportunity there for them to make a really sort of rich environment and obviously one that's going to be very beautiful as well um so yeah i cannot wait for that to come out i'd be interested to see how they do the sort of you know tongue-in-cheek element of it because it yeah. always was a sort of very Monty Python-esque type um, uh, game, even so much so that the butler was, um, oh, what's his name? Oh, was it John Cleese? Yes, uh, yeah, he, yeah. he played the butler and, and it was a very comical um, game. So yeah, I, I, can, I cannot wait for that one. I mean, I think that's going to be a good example of building it from the ground up with the sort of, um, mm. with the idea of what it stood for originally in mind. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, so that brings us quite nicely onto sort of moving away from remasters as such, but onto from the ground up remakes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some notable examples over the past couple of years, um, you know, the most recent remake of Final Fantasy VII. Um, I remember way back when, when the um, Square had a presentation on the PS3 and it was showing the uh, opening FMV of Final Fantasy VII recreated um, in real-time 3D using the PS3 hardware. I mean, we're going back, good God, we're going back, when would it be, 2006, 7, 8, round about that time? So a good, good few years ago. And all they did was absolutely stoke the fire of demand for a remake of Final Fantasy VII. You know, Final Fantasy VII, um, you know, it's... if you think about outside the box, it's unusual for a video game series to really hit its peak popularity in the seventh entry. Um, but it but it absolutely did. It brought the JRPG uh, in many instances to the West. Um, you know, yeah. I'm generalizing. There's, there's many other JRPGs out there that 
you know, have, have succeeded in that as well. But it was absolutely one of the, the major contributors to popularising the Western interest in the JRPG uh, genre. Um, and when, you know, I finally got my hands on the Final Fantasy VII remake, just the look, the feel, certain bits of music, it sort of made, you know, it sort of gave you like shivers down your spine. You're like, oh, mm. God. You know, this this is fantastic. I'm, you know, going back to the mid-90s and, and sort of booting up my PS1. Um, again, you know, the only thing I was critical of, in all honesty, uh, was the combat, because I was right. just so, so old school. Uh, and the combat was uh, sort of made with, with, made with quite a modern sort of flavour uh, in light of sort of more recent uh, entries in, in sort of Final Fantasy series and things like that. And it's something that took me a while to get used to. Um, and you know, and and indeed, you know, a couple of elements were a little polarizing to say the least. But mm. you know, even if you liked, you know, disliked a tiny bit of it, the whole package was very, very faithful. And I think the the, the funny thing about it is that in the original Final Fantasy, um, you know, it's only a, a small chunk of the the game that takes part in uh, sort of Midgard at the start of the game. This entire remake is in Midgard, which, right. you know, ov obviously the, the grander scope is to release further chapters. And I mean, we, <laughs> I don't know when we'll ever see the end of Final Fantasy VII remade as, um, you know, an anthology piece, um, because it is going to be, if the scale of Final Fantasy VII remade is anything to go by, it's going to be a game that's going to be sort of made by a dedicated team within Square Enix for a long, long time. Yeah. But um, it, it is absolutely a, a technical achievement. Um, another one that I wanted to bring sort of to the discussion is one that, again, it, it, it sort of started because of something that the original developer teased and what that was when half-life 2 was released um, and again i'm having to cast my mind back to 2004 uh, when me and my mate mike first played through the first seven or eight hours of half-life 2 the night it launched on steam in mm. fact launched with steam and um, there were a few additional um sort of bits that came with it if you bought i can't remember if it was like the definitive edition or you could buy a package that included um the original Half-Life, but remade in the Source engine. Yeah. And again, at the time, people were thinking, oh, wow, it'd be brilliant to revisit Half-Life, you know, the Source engine. It had so many presentations by Valve showing its real-time physics engine, you know, graphical fidelity, facial animation, things like that. It was all absolutely jaw-dropping. And it still is to an extent. It is a very, very pretty game, Half-Life 2. Yeah. But then when we booted up Half-Life Source, uh, yeah, it just looked a little bit crisper. The water effects were prettier, but visually, on the whole, it, it was just the original game. Um, and then so the Crowbar Collective, which was effectively a group of fans, you know, banded together with the mm. intention of creating a standalone Half-Life 2 mod, which was... Um, Half-Life 1, you know, made from the ground up using the Half-Life 2 engine. Yeah. I mean, I've been watching this for so long and it was only, if I'm memory sort of serves me right, it was only last year or the beginning of this year that the final chapter of Zen, which was the alien uh, sort of planet that you you end up up in the, the final couple of chapters of the game was, was finally complete. But it's been in development for around 15 years. Bloody hell. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, I'd, I'd regularly sort of watch, you know, YouTube channels and, and sort of, you know, cast my eye on the development, um, you know, very, very closely. Um, and when I played through it, I remember it was free when it first came out, the, the first iteration of it. It was um, it was phenomenal. I absolutely loved it. And again, with any sort of remake, you will always have people who find certain newly introduced elements to it polarizing. And I think that mm. is a defining nature of a remake. You know, if you want to play the original, play the original. Uh, a remake will introduce some additional elements, you know, some small, some major. Yeah. Um, and I think that will always be something that you know, can divide opinion in that respect. But um, Black Mesa is, is absolutely something that when my Steam Deck finally arrives, hopefully by next February, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I will be downloading Black Mesa on it. I, I genuinely can't wait to play through that again, mainly because I've still not played the, uh, the Zen levels towards the end. But um, yeah, the, the, to say that they were effectively a fully remote global collective, the, uh, the Crowbar Collective, 
what an incredible job they did. It's impressive, uh, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it was purely because they were just a group of fans. And so there's no denying the absolute passion that they poured into it. And when you play it, it really, really comes across. Uh, and the levels of authenticity uh, in terms of, you know, introducing or making sure that they've, from a continuity perspective, you know, they've got like Dr. Breen in there. Um, mm. You know, they, they've, they've, it, it flows seamlessly into Half-Life 2. Uh, and so I, I genuinely can't wait to play that again when my Steam Deck shows up. <laughs> yeah, and there's a very similar sort of, um, you know, group of people who are around the Skyrim uh, sort of community mm. who are doing amazing things with the the Skyrim mod uh, sort of scene as well, and you know I think Bethesda have even sort of recognised a few of them, um, you know, and, and that's why you know they're taking a look at the you know ten year anniversary uh, edition they're releasing in the next uh, up and coming months. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's important to recognise community bases as well and, li- and truly mm. listen to them. Because you know they're doing it from a place of you know passion and and, and interest, and they just want that title to do well. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting what these communities can achieve when they come together. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think another one that that another remake that springs to mind, and again, this is um, we're going back to two thousand and four with this one. Um, I remember being so excited about this one. And it was Metal Gear Solid, The Twin Snakes, mm. uh, remade exclusively for the, the GameCube. Um, you know, the original Metal Gear Solid, I, I mean, what an absolute game that was when it came out. Um, I remember playing, oh, going around to my mate's house, and he had a demo of Metal Gear Solid, and I'm sure it came with uh, ISS Pro Soccer or some right. version, some entry in the, the ISS franchise, and it had a demo disc of Metal Gear Solid. And I'd never seen a game that try to emulate just small, authentic sort of little moments, you know, like popping a cigarette in your mouth so the smoke would show, you know, laser trip mines and stuff like that, or, you know, choking people and hiding bodies. And yes, you know, these elements had been seen in sort of various games before, but not on the scale that this had. There was something that was so grown up about it. Mm. I mean, you know, 1998, it, it just became such a turning point. And by, you know, the, the you know, it, it didn't take until that long, you know, we're talking three years later, the PS2 came out. And when the PS2 came out graphically, um, what an, a, an incredible step up that was from the yeah. PS1 era. And straight away, by definition, yes, you know, we could easily go back to Metal Gear Solid. And I remember buying it on the PC as well. Um, and, it, you know, it still played well, but, you know, using some of the terminology that we've used at the beginning of this podcast, I think we'd been shown how graphics could look and became a little bit spoiled and straight away, you know, inevitably the rumours began to surface. Oh, imagine if Metal Gear Solid looked like a PS2 game. Um, And funnily enough, that was was pretty much what happened. Metal Mm. Gear Solid 2 came out uh, on the PS2. Uh, Again, I still think that game looks incredible. Um, I'd get so many uh, PlayStation 2 magazines with uh, preview DVDs on, and I would watch the previews of Metal Gear Solid 2, the uh, you know the Kojima directed Japanese teasers, um, which you know is uh, become very famous for. Um, so well crafted, and I, when when that game finally came out, again, stunning. But again, yeah. by definition, it just made the original Metal Gear Solid look very very dated. Um, and it ended up the um, they ended up effectively taking the Metal Gear Solid Two engine with some additional uh, sort of tweaks um, by the GameCube developer uh, Silicon Knights, who had oh god, what was the game that they did? Eternal Dark. That was it. Eternal Darkness um, again, which is a fantastic sort of survival horror slash sort of psychological um, sort of thriller game, which is is absolutely worth playing on the GameCube. Um, but they did such an incredible job of rebuilding Metal Gear Solid using the Metal Gear Solid Two engine for the GameCube from the ground up, mm. um, and it just it just plays so much better. Like if you were to go back and have an inkling, if you you know had a, an urge to go back and play through the original story of, of Metal Gear Solid, I would recommend The Twin Snakes. 
Right. Um, because it, it just holds it so much better. There's so many sort of gameplay enhancements, like you know they, they adopted the first person aiming from Metal Gear Solid Two, and better environmental interaction that again heavily influenced by what had uh, come before in Metal Gear Solid Two, and it was just such a fantastic package. Um, and I remember, I remember buying it again day one and being absolutely blown away. And that that it was like. Um, it, it was just like watching um it was just watching it play out how i remembered or how i wanted mm. it to remember because even when metal gear solid came out yes there were sort of technical limitations to the to to the platform and kojima the the mastermind that he is absolutely found numerous inventive ways to you know to overcome them but with the gamecube um it just did a fantastic job really and it it, it is one of those things that like i've said if if you've got a, an urge to play metal gear solid and experience the first entry in the Metal Gear Solid franchise. Yes, I know Metal Gear 1 and Metal Gear 2 came before, but if you want to play Metal Gear Solid, absolutely, that is the best way of playing it. Yeah. No, and I think, you know, one of my experiences with a very good uh, sort of a remastering is the Master Chief Collection. Um, mm. I really liked what they did in the with the ability to switch between, you know, uh, original and then remastered versions i think you know you get best of both worlds that way you sort of get to play the game how you want to um you know you get mm. to play it classic style if you want to play it classic style or um if you want to play it in a remastered version you can play it remastered as well and i think that that's a really nice feature to have i'd love to see more games do that you know i'd love this gta um sort of uh remastered um trilogy to to have that ability to switch in between um you know the previous versions and, and the most recent version uh, versions so yeah it those kind of things just make you sort of smile when you when you see them i don't know how technically able you know everyone is to do that and, and willing to do that but it's those kind of little nods to the the past that i, I really enjoy Mm, no, I like that as well. I mean, again, something that springs to mind um, that also allowed you to do that was the um, the re well, it was a remake of um, oh, uh, the Dragon's Trap um, on uh, on the Master System, and you could flick between original graphics and, and sort of modern graphics that adopted this this beautiful sort of hand drawn aesthetic. Um, but yeah, I've, that that was absolutely incredible. I think. One thing that's that's worth mentioning about the Halo Master Chief Collection is that, you know, when it first came out, yeah, you know, the reviews were good. Um, it, it 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 achieved what it set out to do in terms of, um, you know, gathering all of the previous Halo titles in in one very well presented package. Mm -hmm. um, however, you know, it's worth remembering that quite early on in the Master Chief Collections um, sort of, you know, launch window, there were quite a lot of issues with them. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it was absolutely plagued with online issues for, for quite a long time. So much so that um, I remember, you know, they, they, they gave out a free Halo avatar and they also, didn't they give out um, Halo Reach as well? Uh, uh, sorry, not Halo Reach, sorry, um, ODST. Yeah. Um, but, but it's something that 343 have absolutely stuck with and it, you know, it, it's a testament to them that it is now absolutely the best way of playing it. You know, they, yeah. they didn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, to use a phrase that I see very often when discussing things, you know, of this nature, you know, like the, the Silent Hill collection is often referred to as a lazy port. Um, you know, this is something that, you know, they recognised Halo is a game that is very much, um, you know, the community is at the, the, the forefront of, of the Halo, you know, the, the community informs Halo, the community is something which is still very passionate about Halo and mm -hmm. they listened, they learned and they they persevered um, and, you know, again, hats off to, to 343, they, they absolutely nailed it. It took yeah. them a little while uh, and they could have very easily just kept it as it was uh, and, it, you know, it would have been a flash in the pan and, and long forgotten, but they, they stuck with it and it is the definitive way of playing it. And obviously when the Xbox One X came out and indeed followed by the current generation of consoles, um, you know, they kept improving it. They, you know, they introduced better textures, they introduced, um, um, you know, support for 4K resolutions and things like that. And it's something that continues to get better. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, you know, it's a definitive package, but it's a package that if there is an improvement to be made, they're still investing in it, which is, yeah. is so important. 
yeah, completely. And it, it, it's it's a testament to, you know, I don't mind studios making mistakes. You know, I don't, it's, you know, we're all human and it's it's very difficult to make video games. So, you know, if, if they make a mistake and, and, you know, the launch doesn't go as well as they'd hoped, that's fine. Uh, mm. It's that sort of work afterwards to sort of make it right. A lot of, you know, historical examples of people just being, you know, uh, titles just being ditched. Um, yeah. But when when a studio says, okay, well, you know, we understand that these are the issues. This is what we're going to do to fix them and sort of follow us through on that. And as you said, Halo uh, Master Chief Collection is is a shining example of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think one thing really that I, I sort of wanted to move on to very quickly is, you know, and again, we've, we've absolutely touched upon this already, is, is sort of what games you would like to, you know, ideally see um, sort of back in your, mm. you know, back on your shelves or, mm. you know, back in your your library. Um, and I've sort of stumbled across a, a recent poll from, well, I say recent, it was conducted back in May of this year by Game. Um, and they basically asked that very question. Um, and it was whittled down from about 30 different games. Um, and it would be quite, a, well, I was going to say it'd be quite a surprise for you to learn which um, was the overall winner. Um, but it is a game we've already discussed, which sort of makes me uh, makes me laugh uh, because it is a game that it really resonated with people. And there's so many people out there that really want to see this game come back. And that's Simpsons Hit and Run. <laughs> yeah, 100%. It, you know, as as they as they whittled down the the votes, it got it, out of the four final games um, in the final, it it, it got forty four percent of votes. Wow! <laughs> um, I think what's worth what's worth sort of noting on that is that one of the games that was also in the final was uh, San Andreas, weirdly enough, and that, right. that was only as far back as May, so that well, one could yeah. be ticked off. I remember in one of our more earlier episodes. Um, we were discussing this exact thing, you know, this exact subject. And I think I said to you uh, way before the announcement came out, um, I'd love to see a Vice City remake or a reboot mm. or whatever. And now that's the reality. Um, you know, to sort of jump the gun a little bit um, from what I anticipate you're going to say, but I now want Rockstar to pull the finger out and remaster two titles. Right. Maybe, <laughs> maybe on. three, maybe three actually. I'd love them. <laughs> Top of the list for me, priority-wise, is L.A. Noir. Right. Please remaster that game. They made a VR version. Great. Just well, they did bring it. it... I'm going to say they did bring it to PS4, didn't they? So I don't think it's yeah. going to be um, too... I don't think too much time's elapsed for it to be at the top of their list, unfortunately. Um, or even if, even if they release... Well, this is it. Even if they released a, a 4K or up patch for the previous PS4 and Xbox One release. I'd yeah. be happy with that. Yeah, I, I think it's just such... A, I don't know how it performed financially, um, but, you know, i just love to see it, um, you know, come back. Um, this is it. It was one of those games. It was title. It was... I've just Googled it. sold 5 million copies. So clearly a very... Um, very popular title and it's been it's 10 years this year isn't it that it came out so mm. you know you sort of it's only two years behind gta 5 which is kind of scary but um yeah i'm just begging for them to just please 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 um you know bring bring out a new one i appreciate it was made by team bondi and i'm gonna yeah. say they disbanded not long after the release of it as well yeah sadly. so it would have to be passed on to another team and, and I don't know what the sort of bureaucracy and the, the logistics of that would be but yeah I mean I'd love for them to bring out a new LA Noir, especially with the tech that we have now and the abilities that we have now you could make a game that would be absolutely mind-blowing from a very deep uh, detective title yeah please bring it back what, um, what were the other two sort of rock star titles that you'd like them to bring um, I'd love them to make Bully. Um, <laughs> the the only reason we make it, Bully. I'll be honest with you, Paul, that was a loaded question because I'm just looking at the results of this poll and that was also a runner-up. That was also right. in the final. Yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely love them to make remake that game. Um, 
You know, the thing is, though, with Bully is that obviously the uh, the developer of the recent GTA trilogy, Grove Street Games, they have previously developed um, iOS, uh, iOS and, and Android versions of all the various GTA games. Yeah. Uh, and indeed, you know, Chinatown Wars and things like that. But mm-hmm. they've also released the mobile version of Bully. So, you yeah. know, the, the expertise and the experience is there. Uh, yeah, and again... Um, I'm sure it wasn't it that long ago that news emerged that um, there was a an on the on the, an on the cards um, sequel to Bully that was scrapped. So again, you, you sort of read things like that and you're like, oh man, come on, this is the title that people really love. Yeah, and I think as well, you know, I don't without sounding too whatever, you know, is maybe the flavor for that type of game past now a game where mm. you literally go around and bully kids yeah you i'm know, gonna say it, it, has, has society sort of moved on from there i don't know but i'm gonna um, say we can remember that game for what it was yeah um but um yeah i don't know if sort of the new gaming generation will will sort of see past that again you know rockstar have, have you know let's face it they've always pushed the margin yeah they've always pushed the boat when it comes to uh rocking boats Shall mm-hmm. we say? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think there's any fear there, which is good. You know, I, you know, it's it's a world of of sort of free speech, and there's a few sort of brave individuals who sort of want to <laughs> sort of be a bit daring, shall we say? But I absolutely agree with you in that bully. There are questions that potentially arise: uh, is is the subject matter relevant for this day and age? Yeah, um, and I mean, I mean, maybe... I, I'd, I'd like, I would like to see it come back, but I do think there's there's an interesting question to be asked there. Yeah, and how it would be received, and and yeah, mm. it's 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 a game that it's just a really fun game. And I remember when it first came out, you know, it was a bit of a left turn for me in terms of Rockstar and what they were producing at the time. Um, I just didn't sort of see it coming almost, and um, yeah, I loved it. I really loved it. Do you remember the the theory that was sort of going round that uh, the kid from Bully? grew up to be the character out of Manhunt. Because <laughs> <laughs> they look like pretty much identical. I like that. That's um, brilliant. I remember that was that was a thing that sort of went around for a little while. But um, now, and the third title, um, which I think you probably uh, also really like to come out. And to be fair, it, it did get a... It did get a um, a third addition to its series, but I'd love to see a remaster of Max Payne. Yeah. Oh, I... I the thing is... Not necessarily... It's the same the same sort of um, feeling that I have with the GTA series. It doesn't have to be a graphical um, mm. sort of improvement, but in terms of a sort of control, I know that for fact you could sort of really smooth out the controls um, on it. And just make it a little bit more playable, but a hundred percent, it 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 would have. It still has a fan base now. I think Max Payne. It's it's one of those titles that resonates with so many people. The sad thing with Max Payne is that I absolutely adored the first game. I remember buying the special edition of the second one. Absolutely was blown away by that. The third game came out, and even as a fan. I remember seeing bits of it and thinking, okay, you know, change of developer. There's not wrong with that. You know, mm. we've, we've seen that work in the past. Um, I remember at the time thinking, oh, it, it doesn't look like Max Payne. And even I, as a fan of the series, was very, very quick to judge it. Mm. However, when I then bought the game and played through it, it is sincerely still one of my all-time favourite games. There was just the subject matter was i mean it was dark as anything yeah um, yeah but it, it was, was really... so it was so good um and i just it, if memory serves me well i max Payne 3 just wasn't considered that much of a success no um, it was sort of seen as a um a loose attempt at reviving the 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 title wasn't it yeah i mean funnily enough i own that game on the ps3 the xbox <laughs> uh, and Steam, right? And and I really, really like Max Payne Three, and I 
yeah, I just, I would love to play that again. Even if it is just not a remaster or a remake, it is just simply a port. Yeah. You know, even if Xbox brought it to um, backwards compatible, mm-hmm. uh, their, their backwards uh, compat library, I don't care. I, I just, that, that series needs more love. Um, but at the same time, I just, I, I, always, I have to sort of take myself out of my own perception and, and sort of think, is there a place for Max Payne? In sort of the new generation of gamers, you know, can you sort of imagine, you know, people who, you know, perhaps, you know, you know, the the new generation of gamer, is it a series that will will tick boxes for them? And I don't know if it would. It's it's a strange one. What would you say if it walked down the same sort of street as, you know, Modern Warfare in 2018 and and Dead Space, which is also going to sort of reimagine in the, the, the series? So would you sort of be happy with it doing that and maybe reimagining the title and making it from the ground up? Or would you be too scared that they change too much? No, I mean, to be honest with you, oh, God, if they were to get Max Payne wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear me. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, looking looking at the series, you know, the IP, as far as I believe, is now owned by Rockstar. Yeah, um, you know the the first game was you know the, well the first two games were developed by Remedy. The first game, if I remember, its initial release was published by oh, was it the Gathering of Developers? But then later editions were published by Rockstar, and then the second one was published, and then obviously development shifted internally at Rockstar for the third. Mm-hmm. And so, as far as I can work out, it is a wholly owned Rockstar IP. And again, you know. Absolutely. If I'm getting that wrong, please do um, you know comment on the podcast and things like that. Um, and I just sort of think, in in the grand sort of scheme of Rockstar, I don't see it as being a franchise at the top of the list of priorities. No. If you know what I mean, and that's that's the sad reality of it. Um, but again, you know, Grove Street Games they've proven themselves. <sighs> Can they take that game? Can they take that trilogy? I mean, we've we've seen it this year. We've seen a number of trilogies and classic games that have come back. And I I sincerely, from a selfish perspective, just hope that that trend continues. You mm. know, this, this, there are a lot of naysayers out there. Oh, you know, it's just a year of remasters and remakes. Focus on something original. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm anti-original by any means. You know, absolutely not. Um, but at the same time, I want to play these old games. Yeah, And yeah, you know, you know me, Paul, I've got loads of old consoles, you know, I collect old consoles and yeah, I could very easily, you know, boot up my Xbox 360, boot up my PS3 and play through Max Payne 3. However, it's not about that. It's about having a game that you fondly remember and having a bit of spit polish on it, a bit of, you know, additional TLC just to bring it up to the quality of, of sort of what modern gamers expect it isn't simply a case of i want to play it and i'm just being lazy i want it on my current consoles i want to play it if i'm that desperate i can just fire up old consoles but i want what comes with the process of reintroducing a game to a modern audience even if it is just the most subtle of tweaks and refinements yeah and i think that's that is it as well is is you know reintroducing it to people who haven't played it yet you know that's so important you know the the niche of people who appreciate certain titles you know that group of people shrinks year on year you know and it's so important to introduce it to new audiences because you know after we've stopped playing video games whenever that 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 happens to be you know hopefully never they'll introduce it to their kids and you know i don't know what the longevity is for one particular title but you know because the video games industry is still fairly young but you know it's it's yeah it's deeply important that we just continue to let's bring skyrim to the playstation 4 eh, sorry playstation 5 and xbox series x definitely because it it's accessibility as well not everyone mm. has the ability to go and buy a playstation 3 and, and sort of get that sorted and you know it's it's about giving it to to everyone where everyone can access it really. Mm. I think you you sort of hit the nail on the head there with Skyrim. I know Skyrim 
you know, it, it, it's sort of new anniversary releases getting a bit of flack. You know, it, it, it is a bit of a meme in itself and the number of times that Skyrim has, has sort of been re-released and things like that. But let's just fundamentally remember, this is a game that people are playing and it's a game that people are still playing. It's a game that has a very passionate community. It's a yeah. game that, you know, it has its fans and it's fans that will buy it. So why not? You know what I mean? It's, yeah, exactly. it's one of these things. You know, I'm probably going to end up upgrading the special edition I've got to the anniversary edition because I want to. I want to, you know, how many times can you watch the same film? How many times can you listen to the same piece of music? How many times exactly. can you read the same book? If you enjoy it, no one should criticize you for that. And at the end of the day, if video game studios are, you know, from a financial perspective in many instances, well, let's face it, in most instances, but if they're tapping into that, no one's forcing you to buy a game at the end of the day. Um, you know, if, if it's a game you enjoy, buy it. You know what I mean? If it's a game you don't enjoy, don't buy it. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a simple, simple dialogue. Um, yeah. But no, absolutely. And I think, like you say, in terms of, you know, introducing, um, you know, classic games um, to the younger generation, um, absolutely. I mean, you know, funnily enough, my, uh, my mate, uh, Chris, just sent me a, a picture message the other day. He's got a, a three-year-old called Charlie. And um, yeah. He sent me a picture of him playing Sonic Shuffle on his Dreamcast. <laughs> and it, it just, I'll be honest with you, Paul, it warmed the cockles of my heart. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, you know, like I said, you know, I, I can't be bothered to uh, buy every single console that requires me to, to access certain games. So they bring them to new markets. Uh, I'm not going to complain because it means I don't have to buy as many consoles. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think one thing that we, we do need to say is, you know, if there are any uh, video classic video game franchises, classic titles that you grew up with and um, that you would like to see remastered or remade or, you know, some kind of enhanced port on modern platforms, if you want to play something that was, you know, previously an Xbox title on your Switch, you know, if you want the portability of it, if you want the modern day enhancements that come with current uh, sort of video game standards, absolutely please feel free to sort of comment on the podcast, drop us a message, uh, and we'd genuinely love to hear sort of what suggestions you have and why, more importantly. Definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so much for listening to uh, today's episode of the, the the Next Game Wins podcast. Um, do please join us again for next time, and we'll, uh, we'll hope to uh, hear from you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.